The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. Everybody say hello to Wednesday. Gary, how are you? I'm doing good. Well, another interesting day. Yeah. Uh, the campaign, the, the Republican primary campaign has unofficially, uh, well, it began yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, we said the day before it was, uh, the day before was the first shot of uh, DeSantis at, uh, at Trump, but mm-hmm. it officially began yesterday. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I think, just because of the interview that DeSantis did with uh, Piers Morgan. We'll get to that coming up here in just uh, uh, a little bit. He appears to be running. Yes, it, <laughs> one would think that he is. One would think that he is running, even though he is not officially. That's why I said unofficially. The primary campaign mm-hmm. uh, began. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, and what is it? Was yesterday? I mean, the Fox News story now saying that uh, sources have told Fox News, though, there remains a real chance that uh, that uh, D. A. Bragg will not indict President Trump. By the way, that's one of the problems with all the Republicans jumping on this. You know, the Republicans saying, well, we Bragg needs to testify before Congress. By the way, one of the legal weaknesses there, Congress has no authority over a local DA at all. Yeah, that's it. No. it was, it's not going to fly. And right. and and on what what you, you want to look at his case, the case that he has. Um, that's not going you know, to happen. What what jurisdiction do you believe you have there? Right. That's not. And, and uh, you know, Rand Paul saying he should go into jail. Republicans are jumping the gun before the DA's office has said anything. Well, this is the problem that, and, and this is, you know, yesterday about this time during the pre-show meeting, I said, you know, what are the chances that Bragg just steps up to the podium and says, well, uh, you know, the grand jury saw this, but no reasonable prosecutor. <laughs> yeah. Well, <no. laughs> and, and, well. and does that move? Um, and... It, what would it say? Because you, you look at the you know the momentum built by by Trump, or you know what some believe is the political momentum of the possibility of him being indicted. Uh, you know, even Chris Rock joking about it. Are you guys talking to Democrats? Are you guys stupid? You guys want to make sure that are you trying to ensure that he wins in twenty four? 
And it's quite possible that, you know, you float this out there, see where it goes. And then at the end of it, and it could be because of uh, the testimony by Costello that Bragg looks at it and says, all right, we don't move on it. Well, you know, there there was when when you had Republicans across the board, you know, including Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, don't protest. Mm -hmm. This looks like a setup. You know, that was going around with Republicans. This looks like a setup to get Republicans going crazy. And then he does nothing. And then you can criticize the Republicans. He didn't even charge Trump. And the Republicans are saying he should be in jail. I mean, it shows you the authoritarian fascists of the Republicans. And and that's why I think it's wrong for the Republicans to jump the gun until. Look, we talk show hosts can speculate because Mm -hmm. Trump said it. And then you had analysis of what the legal case would be. And that's what. You know, and that's what we hit on it and said, we just believe it would be very weak. And then with Costello's testimony the other day before the grand jury, we said extremely, uh, uh, you know, it would be extremely weak uh, to do something like this. But, you know, Rand Paul comes out yesterday and says he should be in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, he needs to testify before Congress. This is, well, if he does nothing, you come out looking like idiots. It's very important not to let yourself be set up. Uh, when the facts are not yet known. And you always are vulnerable to setting yourself up when the facts are not yet known and everybody is dealing in speculation. Right. Now, if if he if he does indict Trump, pound away mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. But if he pulls back now and doesn't do it, he's, he'll come out and say, I never said anything. You know, Trump jumped the gun and Republicans jumped the gun and I had, and and we were simply going through the uh, the the evidence, but it shows you what the Republicans are when the facts aren't present. You know they're they're backing a president who's and because I know that this is what they'll do that 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 uh, is promoting the fact that there needs to be violent protest. Right, mm-hmm. that's what they'll do. Mm-hmm. There needs to be violent protest for something that that you know we didn't even do, and then Republicans said jail me and. Understand the fascists that Republicans are. Mm-hmm. Republicans, don't be stupid. When it happens, you know, yeah, do it. But if he pulls back now, and now if he doesn't pull back, well, then you're okay. Mm-hmm. But you're taking an unnecessary gamble by jumping the gun when the DA, the DA, excuse me, the DA hasn't done anything yet. By the way, just to, to clarify, I saw in the New York Post yesterday because we were talking about. The uh, if if you know the possible charges you could file against Trump, and the statute of limitation, uh, 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 you know, challenges there. New York Post yesterday had that the the um, because of uh, of of COVID number one uh, statute of limitations for that you know basically a year because a lot of courts were closed and everything else. Mm-hmm. So you got it the the uh, the state got an extra year there uh, uh, of it, but. According to New York law, because when Trump became president and was gone for four years from New York, that extended it out four years. Apparently, if you leave, according to the New York Post, they had a story on it yesterday. Mm-hmm. If you leave the state, that extends however long you're gone, that extends the statute of limitations. Even though he still had an office in the state. Yes, mm-hmm. because he was living. He wasn't living there anymore anymore. You know, did his his uh, his I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, but no, no. Didn't he uh, didn't he move to officially to Florida to avoid taxes? But th- that was I think that was before the this whole thing. 
I think he moved to Mar-a-Lago officially nah, that'd before be a good, then. That'd be, that, no, that'd be a good case. That's the thing. There's so much speculation on everything here. You know, mm-hmm. you and I have gone in and, you know, said, well, this is what this person says, you know, says, and this is the way it is here. And then we've had to re- reverse it because new information has come out. Well, that's not the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're reporting the sources that right. are yeah. saying it. But they said because he became president, uh, he was then in Washington and Florida. And that, you know, th- those are the reasons. Let's put it this way. Those are the reasons you can extend it. Yeah. The statute of limitations, mm-hmm. what the specifics are about Trump's situation, about where he officially has his residence during that time would be another. Yeah, would be because another I would wonder about, okay, what about anybody else who doesn't have any residence whatsoever in New York but commits a crime in New York? Are you saying that that statute of limitations is yeah, endless was... because they don't live there? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm just telling you yeah. what they wrote. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, so... Um, like I mean, so where do you go here? You know, and there was another story that that uh, well, Trump is going to be arraigned tomorrow, or what? And it's like, well, or the mm. indictment will be tomorrow, but he won't appear until next week. Yeah, exactly. And um, but there's no evidence of that. Then Fox coming out with the story that well, there's a uh, here it is. Sources told Fox News there remains a real chance that Bragg does not choose to indict Trump. Yeah. From yesterday. So, you know, where are, you know, where are we here? I, well, uh, well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, the Hillary camp will tell you that James Comey wrecked her campaign just by stepping up and saying what he said on July 5th of that year. Mm-hmm. That it didn't matter that he didn't move to indict Everything that he lined out did the damage to the campaign on that day. And that they're claiming that, all right, but that, you know, that the Hillary campaign, we didn't do those things. That wasn't against the law or whatever. They're, you know, they're claiming their innocence and they never had an official setting in which to defend their innocence. That Comey just came out and laid it down. And even though he did the whole no reasonable prosecutor thing, it wrecked her chances. It wrecked her campaign. That's the claim. Could you see Bragg step up to the, and I guess, you know, just throw this possibility out. He steps up to the podium. Here's what they found in the grand jury. Um, here's a number of things that went wrong. And then he just brings the whole Stormy Daniels thing back to the surface. Now, if I'm going to have to lay a dollar down on whether he moves or just steps up to the podium and says, uh, he did all these things, but we don't believe we can bring a case because we don't believe there's strong enough evidence. Whether he indicts or not, if I'm going to lay my money down, I'm putting a dollar on he indicts. That if they took all this time, they made all this effort, uh, they went through all of that, then that's going to be the case. Now, what sets that off, what really takes a lot of steam out of that, is Costello. Because you have to ask yourself why a guy would risk lying to a grand jury 
coming forward in a very deliberate and and voluntary way to testify to a grand jury. Because the hope of, I don't know, being employed by Trump in the future isn't enough if that employment isn't going to be anything. If you're caught lying to a grand jury, you go to jail, you're disbarred. He risks everything Costello does by lying to a grand jury. Mm-hmm. He wasn't forced to be there. It was quite the opposite. He insisted on being there. So you have to, have to ask yourself what the motive is for him to do that. What, what the motive would be for him to lie. There is none. And so that's what it comes down to for me is that if anything, if there's any reason for Bragg not to move forward, it would be because Costello, what Costello told the grand jury. It could also be that the grand jury has changed since Costello and that they they don't recommend to Bragg an indictment because of Costello's testimony. These are all possibilities. I'm not saying one or the other. But Costello's, the fact that he went there and risked everything his entire career and livelihood to be there if he were lying tells me there's, okay, here, it's, it's likely here, that he didn't lie. Here's the question I have about Bragg because you were saying, because, you know, grand juries are different where whatever state that you're in. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, okay, you know, that, that, uh, uh, you know, what are the rules for a New York grand jury? Can the prosecutor come out and say, here's what we did in the grand jury? Mm-hmm. And it looks like he can't. Uh, grand jurors must preserve the secrecy of the grand. Because my point is, I know during the time they, you know, they can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Can they talk about it? You know, can they talk about it, uh, you know, after in the future would be mm-hmm. would be my question. Mm-hmm. And and, I, and and again, I don't know if this is a definitive answer. Grant, this is actually from... The, uh, the grand jury handbook of New York State. Grand jurors must preserve the secrecy of the grand jury proceedings. Grand jurors may not discuss anything that occurs in the grand jury room with anyone other than members of the jury, the prosecutor, or the judge. If necessary, any discussion about the case by grand jurors must occur only in the grand jury room. When proposing questions for a witness, grand jurors should take care not to reveal the identity of another witness, the substance of another witness's testimony, or the evidence that they have heard from them. Grand jurors may not tell others anything about any action the grand jury takes. Unlike others involved with the grand jury, witnesses are not required to keep the role secret. Grand jury witnesses are allowed to discuss their own testimony in public if they wish to do so. Anyone other than a witness who violates the secrecy of the grand jury is subject to serious penalties, including imprisonment. No one may talk to a grand juror about the grand jury's work. A grand juror should immediately inform the jury staff, grand jury warden. Now, is that just while the grand jury is going on? That's what I don't know. Are you asking whether or not the prosecutor can talk about it? Yes. Oh, I I think he can after it's done. Yeah. I don't think he can during the process. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. You know, that's, I'm looking for in the future, whether they can or not, um, And and I don't know. It doesn't talk about the future. That would be the case. You know, we, we I don't see here where it says once the grand jury ends, anybody can talk about what happened in there. I, that I don't see 
in the grand jurors. Well, handbook. yeah, but the pro- I, the prosecutor would be the exception, <clears throat> certainly, to that rule after they've convened. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the case. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because what you're doing then is, you know, you're uh, you're uh, you know the the uh, uh, when Comey did it, he wasn't a grand jury. He's mm-hmm. simply an investigator, and mm-hmm. they said he shouldn't have done that, that that broke mm-hmm. protocol, mm-hmm. that you don't do that. Well, we learned about the um, the one case, and I forget the, uh, the, the person who died. I forget the name of the person who died, but we learned all about the grand jury after that. And it was through uh, – it actually, a lot of that information mm-hmm. came through the prosecutor's office. It was after they convened. I guess it depends – like I said, it depends on the state. Grand jury rules well, that was are in different New York. every state. Yeah, that was in New York. For, for yeah. what case? Uh, I, I'll have to go back and, and look at it. We talked about the case numerous times on the air. But we talked about what went down, how many grand jurors there were, uh, and essentially uh, the fact that they didn't uh, bring that. And the prosecutor had talked about the grand jury because – Everybody turns, the media turns to the prosecutor. Well, talking about the specifics about what the target did Mm -hmm. as fact, I think, is you can talk about the generalities of the grand jury, Mm -hmm. but it's the specific allegation. Here's what what was uh, done. Here's what we believe to to basically indict him in public based on a grand jury is, I think, the legal problem in some states. I don't know whether that's the case in New York, though. Yeah, I guess we'll find out soon enough. 866-90-RED-EYE. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Make sure your fluids are at proper levels ahead of spring. Fluid is to trucks what blood is to the human body. Low fluid can be just as harmful as no fluid, and the damage this will cause to your truck is unavoidable. Pay attention to your engine oil, coolant levels, power steering fluid, transmission fluid, brake fluid, and differential fluid. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. To, to uh, just give everybody an idea how grand juries in different states can be different in New York, the witnesses, because uh, when when uh, uh, Costello, uh, it was Bob, right? Bob yeah. mm-hmm. When he gave his testimony saying that uh, Michael Cohen was lying, he is a witness. You are allowed a witness is able to talk about their testimony. But in the state of Texas, you're not. Right. I was surprised that in New York they let witnesses talk about yeah. it uh, while the grand jury yeah. was still in session. Witnesses called to testify before a Texas grand jury must keep the proceedings secret, as spelled out in the criminal code of procedure. If secrecy is violated, the witness may be found in contempt and fined $500 and imprisoned up to six months in the state of Texas. So, mm-hmm. like I said, it's different. So that's the question, you know, how... You know, if you say, what would Bragg do if he didn't indict? Would he still go after Trump like Comey did? That would be the question. And I don't have the answer. I don't know whether uh, you can talk about what the witness testimony was. Uh, and, you know, if you're the, the, the DA, after the grand jury is yeah, done, I don't know what the rules are I don't even think he York. would have to go that far. I think he could step up and say, there was. we believe there was criminal wrongdoing, however, we don't have this, this sufficient case to bring it forward or blah, 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 blah. You know, he doesn't even have to go that. No, far. you're right. No, you're right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so right. that's all he has to do is bring up again the Stormy Daniels thing all over again and let it live for a few minutes longer. You know, and it's that could be enough for Bragg. And then again, make the re- the Republicans who were saying he should be arrested or yeah. he should have to testify, or, or, make them look you, bad. Or you simply say, "Look, we believe criminal wrongdoing was there. The grand jury didn't see it, right?" And, and then so you, absol- you absolve yourself. We're not going right. to pursue it at this time. Right. Yeah. in and get a word in edgewise eric harley and gary mcdonough on red eye radio it's red eye radio he's eric harley and i'm gary mcnamara 866-90 red eye if you'd like to get in oh and it was uh good uh, to see again because we had talked uh, yesterday and we, we and we were we were pretty shocked that there wasn't more analysis uh, on yesterday's show about you know costello's testimony and and then we brought up that the uh, the uh, the the waiver uh, of uh, uh, that uh, Cohen didn't remember, you know, said never happened that he never signed a waiver, and and there's uh, on Fox News there's Costello, you know, showing 
the actual waiver that existed yeah. and said, hey, well, right. you know, look, the attorney-client the, privilege waiver. The attorney-client yeah. privilege waiver. And it's just a couple of sentences from Jonathan Turley because when I woke up this morning, I went, ah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Because yesterday I ran a column in USA Today uh, about the unpalatable prospect of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg putting disbarred attorney Michael Cohen on the stand as a star witness. Given Cohen's past lies and conduct, it will be a target-rich environment for cross examination as if on cue cohen added another potential item for a withering cross-examination he des- denied any memory of a waiver of attorney-client privilege in the public tiff with robert costello and we said well that destroys him the credibility of 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 cohen yeah and he right. said and he said when i heard that costello would ask this is jonathan turley when i asked when i heard that he had asked to speak before the grand jury I was highly critical as a criminal defense attorney of public confrontation with a former client, particularly in claiming possible perjury on his part, you know, is is unheard of. It's rare for an attorney to contradict a former client in public, let alone launch such a frontal attack on his character, putting aside the uh, propriety of such a move, the violation of the confidentiality in such a case could result in bar charges, as we talked about before. Right. If he yeah. did this, why why you know, would you would, risk all that? Right. Yeah. Why would Costello do it? However, Costello then claimed to have a signed waiver of attorney-client privilege. Cohen then took the step of going on television to blast Costello, while prosecutors would likely prefer that he avoid public interviews. Cohen has been maximizing his exposure on the legal matter, a signature throughout his career. He went on the Joy Reid show to denounce Costello with no sense of self-awareness. I'm glad somebody else is using that because we yeah. use that term a yeah. lot. With no sense of self-awareness, he accused Costello of lacking any sense of veracity. Uh, but then he added that I didn't know Bob Costello from the hole from a hole in the wall, and then Costello was never my lawyer. On the waiver, Cohen denied any recollection of waiving the privilege and said, I'd like to know when, where, how, and where. Costello then went on Tucker Carlson show on Fox News and held up a signed waiver that he said has Cohen's signature on the second page. Wow. Uh, he said, I still find this dogfight between two lawyers to be unseemly. However, well. <laughs> un- unless Costello is a forger. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, think about that, that, what he would have to go through all of that. So then not only uh, it, did he lie to a grand jury, but he also forged a signature on a document. Yes. To help facilitate right. those lies to a grand right. jury. That Cohen just added another alleged false statement on the eve of the Trump prosecution. If that is his signature, his denial can only be used... Uh, can not only be used to show a spotty memory of important legal details, equally damaging his own lack of veracity. So uh, that he says, for Cohen, it is nothing new, but how would you like to be a prosecutor with your star witness adding rebuttal points on national television for the defense? Okay. Which is why we said yesterday, why isn't there anything being written on the fact of Costello's testimony is so incredibly damaging to the prosecution? We said, we can't see how they how he could possibly continue on this without being legally completely embarrassed if the parameters of what we know of what the legal experts say is what Bragg is going after. Bragg may be going after someone else, but if those are the parameters 
uh, of of what he is hitting. It's just horrible. And then then to see the the Fox News saying today, sources say there's a great chance that he may not prosecute Trump. And we're like, okay, that sort of makes more sense. Well, especially and now it, it could be because of the whole Costello thing. It could be because of that testimony. Maybe that testimony changed something for Bragg. And not that Bragg doesn't want to go forward, but that he looks at it as a major hurdle now right. that Costello or, would be a star witness. Right, or or the grand jury. I mean, mm-hmm. the, because, as you know, we, well, we have people writing us for some reason saying, well, the grand jury indicts, not the prosecutor. Yeah, they recommend. We, yeah, they, we, yeah, they, we, we they're know the that. ones, right, they're the ones right. that, that hand down the indictment. Right, we know but that. But it's, you know, but this is the, you know, this is the approach here is, and, and this is why someone like a Bragg hands it to a grand jury. So that politically they can kind of be uh, somewhat removed from the process. Now, he clearly isn't. You don't get no. to wash your hands of it because you sent it to a grand jury. Um, but this is how it's done. And I could see, uh, you know, where they look at it and say, well, there's no way around the Costello thing. No, there isn't. And I'm still amazed. Turley talked about it. I'm still amazed that wasn't a bigger issue yesterday on this yeah. whole thing. Well, because then you say, all right, the prosecution moves forward. They go to court. Costello has already shown that he is willing to testify. He would be a star witness for the defense. Right. Their star witness is a guy who can't even remember what he has signed, apparently. A guy who has, according to the all of the cases before this against him, he's broken the law numerous times. He's a guy with zero credibility. He would be destroyed, eviscerated on the stands. You want that? And the other thing is, I thought yesterday, uh, if Costello is a forger, <laughs> I mean, the Bar Association, I'm sure, would want to see, you know, that that signed. Uh, yeah. You know, that. Oh, that, yeah. That, no, that that signed waiver, because that right. would be the criticism. Well, there um, would be I would think there the, would be a hearing because right. if Costello is if Cohen is saying he never signed anything, I don't remember it, then certainly they would move to say. Well, that wasn't the case, and and we, we need to prove it. So I would think there would be a hearing to determine whether or not attorney-client privilege was ever waived. But think about this. Here's the question about Bragg. Because Bragg is going to be the one that moves forward on this. What would you rather have? A situation where you can come out and you can say, look, um, we believe he broke the law. Grand jury didn't find it, um, but you should know that, you know, we will, at this point, we're not going to prosecute. We're not going to move forward with this case for now. You leave it dangling. Or would you rather go through this, be destroyed in court by Trump? What's worse for Bragg? Being destroyed by Trump. Being destroyed by Donald Trump. And, on his own and, turf. And and the politics of this is when you have CNN, when you have MSNBC saying this is, is an extremely weak case where they can't defend it and say this is a solid case. They can't find one law, expert of, even of, to, of, you know, to, for of, their shows. Right. You, you know, you, the, I didn't see them bring one expert that said, oh, no, Brad got, has this. And and if, if he can do this, then it's going to be 
boom, boom, right. boom, and, and Trump goes down. Nobody is saying that. And so Bragg could lose big time to Donald Trump on his own turf. Do you want that? That would be Bragg's signature. This would be Bragg's signature move if he were able to prosecute a former president, successfully uh, prosecute a former president and convict a former president. That would be one thing, but... That's an Everest of a thing to accomplish, especially on a weak case. You've really got nothing here. And so what's worse is this could also be your signature move in the worst way in that you lose to Donald Trump on your own turf. Now, we have to also ask the question, though, does does Bragg have any sense of self-awareness since he is the D.A. that came out and initially said that they were not going to make it a felony if you went in and robbed a, uh, you know, they had the, a lot of the bodega robberies. Mm-hmm. The, you know, you go in and you rob a store, and you know, you've, you you take a real gun in and you point it at somebody's head and you rob the store. Well, they wouldn't make that a felony as long as you don't shoot the gun. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of self awareness. So with somebody as delusional as Bragg. You don't know what he would do, but obviously the politics of losing for Trump, no matter how delusional Bragg has shown he can be, is still worse for him. Yeah, I. It's. Uh, it would be. He may I not mean, recognize it. it yeah, <laughs> it would be the one that that basically. I mean, you would be forever defeated by Trump, and that would be that would be your legacy. And. Yeah. You know, he may not see that. He may be um, just as delusional as he seems. <laughs> and he may decide to go forward with it. You know, the, the story coming out that it will happen sometime today, Wednesday. Well, you know, it was, for, it was out there for days that it was going to happen Tuesday. Now, Andrew McCarthy wrote last week also that I think he wrote as early as Friday that he thought it would happen sometime this week. So we'll see. What I like is the story, and I believe the New York Post had it, about the joy inside that the that the uh, uh, Trump camp has decided to embrace this. That Trump actually wants to be handcuffed. He wants it. He wants everything to be on camera. Yeah. That they view this as something that, and he's one of the few, <laughs> he's one of the few political candidates that have existed in history where bad news they believe is great news well no i we said it you know during uh the impeachments uh, during the second impeachment i said look you know they they think this is going to be a scarlet letter no 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 he's gonna wear it like a letterman's jacket he's gonna put this on and and that's an accomplishment for him he'll wear that around all day so I could see that. I could see him and his lawyers saying, no, come on in while I'm fingerprinted. Come on in. Watch this process. We want complete complete transparency here. Come on in. And, well, that's and, and one of the reasons you do that is, you know, it's a horribly weak case. Right. And that you're setting yourself up for most likely a win in court. 
Because think about that. If he got a win on this case, if, it, if this case did not drag out. And my thought is, because I'm, I'm looking at it, you look at the, the possible charges that could come down. You know, we're not talking about a miles long list of witnesses. And we're not talking about, you know, warehouses filled with evidence. We're We're just talking about what probably will come down to a trial that may last weeks, not months. And then an appeal that could happen fairly quickly if it doesn't go his way. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. Uh, he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Uh, well, the uh, Republican primary campaign officially began yesterday. We'll get to the details uh, on it. Piers Morgan doing an interview with uh, De- DeSantis and asked DeSantis to uh, differentiate himself, between, you know, be, the, tell the differences between him and uh, Donald Trump, and he did. And the war is going to begin here. Uh, uh, so we'll get to uh, that. We'll tell you about the Texas University that canceled canceled a drag show saying it denigrates women, that it's akin to blackface. You and I talked about this a long time ago and mm. said, well, technically, in the liberal circular firing squad, isn't it gender appropriation? I would think it would be. We asked that question years ago. Yeah, I think it would be. That the left should be upset about that. But again, the left has decided to abandon women. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, look. They were, they were all, you know, going all crazy in Hollywood uh, several years ago because someone who was not a transgender was pretending as an actor to be a transgender. They were angry that they didn't get a real transgender to pretend to be a transgender. <laughs> the liberal circular firing it, squad. It makes my bald spot hurt. <laughs> it's just seriously, there is no I've, end. I've never noticed the bald spot. Yeah, I don't really have one. Oh, okay. Just yeah. saying. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want. 
if you can't listen live overnight. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Hello. So there, I mean, it's the funniest thing is this is in the entertainment section. This is page six, which focuses on celebrities. Mm. And <laughs> article in the New York Post, there's no such thing as bad publicity when you're Donald Trump. Spies tell page six that the Donald is in high spirits in advance of a possible arrest and indictment this week. Sources say Trump wants his potential arrest to be a high-profile affair for maximum exposure, a source said the Trump team, uh, a source said of of Trump's team, they are very pumped about this. Hmm. The Manhattan DA, the NYPD, and even the Department of Justice were trying to work out a quiet handover coordinated with the Secret Service, and Trump was having none of it. If an indictment and arrest happens... He wants it to be public. We are even told that Trump's people are planning to try and film and document it with their own camera crew. They want a shot of him in handcuffs and will release the mugshot. They are loving this stuff. (laughs) Meanwhile, Spies tells page six that Trump is at his private club in Palm Beach, Florida where he's reveling in being back in the news and the center of attention. He thinks this trumped-up charge will help him with his base. Hmm. Trump is acting as if he doesn't have a care in the world. Yeah, all right. The political insider further told us Trump and his team are nervous about about likely primary rival Governor Ron DeSantis's election prospects and think the arrest would bolster Trump's campaign because they think... This will show that the Democrats are out to persecute him. The source also told us Trump will be getting all the media. He will argue he is a leader of the party and has the best shot against President Biden, which is why he is being attacked. His people are licking their chops. They are pumped. Next thing he'll be doing is the rally. All right. The Post previously reported that sources said the NYPD and Secret Service are prepping for Trump's possible indictment in Manhattan after the ex-president un, uh, announced he is expecting to be uh, arrested. So uh, there you go. All uh, right, source well. said Trump appears in high spirits and is throwing out positive energy. He's busy rallying members to his side, both on the golf course and in the club's dining room, this is Marlago. Hmm. Wherever he appears, it's a mini campaign rally with people greeting him, surrounding him, and voicing their support. You know, we, you and I had said this by the time the, uh, you know that you know the the first and then really the second indictment. We said, wow, you know, the Democrats believe that this will taint him, and we said actually it'll be viewed as a badge of honor. Nobody even talks about the fact that he's that he was indicted in any way that is that is critical. You may get some, well, he was indicted, but they know they can't sell it anymore. But that's because the Democrats, again, did not, I said indictment, impeachment. Mm. The, the Democrats did not, did not uh, you know, they lowered, as we said, they lowered the bar on impeachment where it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, Future right. presidents that are impeached, right. unless it is a serious crime, I don't know, for, you know, something like... Uh, Tax evasion from influence peddling, you know, things like that. Yeah, right. Things that, you you know, you'd really never see in any type of, you know, president. 
you know, accused right. of, of that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and unless it is an extreme criminal charge, uh, really impeachment has, because the Democrats have lost, has lost any impact in our political culture. Right. And we said if they did it, this is what would happen. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that was, you know, something that, that everyone seemed back then to lose sight of that it was go- on the left, that it was going to diminish its effect. They thought it would be worse than a scarlet letter. No, man, it was a letterman's jacket to the nth. You didn't understand the type of person he is. You went after him with two impeachments that were bogus. Man, he's going he's gonna to fly those flags all day. And if he believes Bragg has nothing, which he has nothing, then he's going to, I could see him, I could absolutely see him playing this up. You know, the one thing about the left is they've been, you know, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the underdog, I'm the underdog. Well, Trump has had the left going at him since before day one. I mean, this entire thing. He had the Clinton machine going after him, you know, and it happened all throughout his presidency. The Democrats then, not just once, twice they impeached. And then Bragg comes with this weak case. What do you, how do you think he's going to react? And and uh, with the limited number of polls out there, it looks like it's helped Trump. Yeah, right. So... Could that be the could that be the sole reason that Bragg decides not to move <laughs> and says, uh, "Well, you know, right now we're not going to move forward on it." Well, the the problem is, and and you know, and, and it's well known, and we talked about it the other day. Uh, it could definitely help Trump, you know, win the primary. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help him get independence. And we have talked about no in the in the, in yeah, the uh, general election. Yeah, yeah we, that we, doesn't work. It's not going to help him get. This is not going to help him get independence, and mm-hmm. that's that's the the uh, that's the the challenge there, and that's what that's what Democrats, you know, and and what was it uh, you say it was Chris Rock or was it? Yeah, Chris Rock. Chris Rock told the joke, that, to, when, basically saying to Democrats, mm-hmm, yeah. "You guys want him to win." Yeah, I mean, there there's a, you know there's a train of thought out there that it could happen, but there's also the train of thought that uh, that. All these things coming down on him is not going to help him get one vote from an independent. And if he doesn't win independence, he loses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That you and, have to win. That's that's what Democrats believe. Democrats yeah. believe. Look, throw everything, throw everything at him, and uh, he, the way that he will respond will be the wrong way, and we can beat him because there's no way that Donald Trump can get independence. Mm-hmm. That's what the feeling is from Democrats out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It's a long, as we've said, it's a long way Look, away. If, if there, and, if, and, and Biden is just, is right now, this is the thing. Biden is in a weaker position than Trump. Mm-hmm. Based on everything that's coming down the pike over the next year and a half. Yeah, uh, un- yeah. Unless... You know, they, they, and I don't know. I mean, I still believe that the Georgia case going after him is weak, but I don't know all the testimony in that case. Right. It's probably stronger 
you know, it's probably a stronger case than than the the Bragg case. But everything is relative. Just because it's stronger doesn't mean it's still not weak. Well, and then and, there's the uh, special prosecutor who's been assigned based on the classified documents, and we'll see where that goes. On Mar- but the political problem with that is, you know, nobody really talks much about the Georgia case, the politics of that, because there's a lot of great unknowns. But the problem with the Marlago case is that will also be viewed as political. Yeah, right. It, because if well, you charge... Especially after, after Biden. Right. If you charge Trump and don't charge Biden... You know, that's that's the politics. Well, and ABC has this story that, of course, yeah. Drudge had to post about, uh, and, and here it is, the headline. Sources say special counsel claims Trump deliberately misled his attorneys about classified documents, Judge wrote. Okay. Um, I don't know what proof there is of that. But, again, you're getting into the weeds on, on the, the, the much bigger picture, and that is, classified documents for an ex-president you right. compare this to the mishandling of of documents and and how the whole thing was just botched by biden as a former vice president keep in mind those documents weren't there from his presidency with biden they were there from the time he was vice president and in the senate so we'll see where that special prosecutor goes. But I think Trump looks at all this. I think he looks at the collective likely and says, man, this works for me because it shows the left. Everybody on the left is looking to do anything and everything to bring me down. And they've got nothing. Yeah, the the, the great unknown is how the public will view and remember, it's the next year and a half, how the public is going to view. And, you know, we've just what we've seen over the last couple of weeks on influence peddling Chinese and Russian money going to the current president. Yeah. When he was vice president, you know, and then after, you know, what what is that all about? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, yeah. because one thing the public hates you know, does the public care more uh, about uh, a the, you know Trump and Stormy Daniels or influence peddling that enriched the president's family when he was vice president and after? You know what is more of a concern to the American public when you get down to it and you pound it for a year because it still hasn't been pounded by the Republicans yet. I mean, the mm-hmm. ads haven't been out there yet. Mm-hmm. You run ads every day. Can you say, this president is compromised. He got hundreds of millions of dollars from anonymous Chinese sources. Ask yourself why. You run those, you pound those. You know, Russian oligarchs, you know, uh, Russian oligarchs were sanctioned after, after Putin invaded Ukraine. The two that weren't are the ones that donated and enriched the Biden family with whatever, I don't know what the amounts of money are, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, is this president compromised by Russia, by right. Putin? Right. You do that. And, 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 you know, those will be extremely effective. And 
since everybody knows the president's lying about it and since the public already believes that the Biden family in the polls stated now that the Biden family has enriched itself. I don't know how that's going to come out because people ask me all the time, well, who do you think's what do you think's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. There's too many variables out there. Yeah. 86690 red eye. Surviving and thriving as an owner operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric, uh, he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Uh, coming up on the bottom of the hour, the uh, the unofficial primary campaign for the GOP uh, unofficially began yesterday. We'll get to uh, that. But talking about, uh, you know, looking at uh, right now the, uh, you know, the the election and everything else, and we had, we had talked about, you know, Trump and you know, the Stormy Daniels thing and comparing it, if he won the nomination, comparing it to the Biden situation, the problem Biden has, for example, with the possible, you know, the possible criminal wrongdoing for influence peddling or just finding out more about how his family has been enriched mm. over the next year and a half. And the other problem that he has outside of the personal things that they are involved in, the the one thing that is going to hang around the president's neck like an albatross is inflation. Yeah. Because yeah. still there is nothing. Nobody's talking about the fact. I haven't seen a projection now. You seen a new updated projection yet about what inflation will be like a year from now? Oh, my gosh, no. Has, has that been because of no. everything that's just happened? Has that been? I expect the next one to move it off. Well, we're going to move this up to 2025. Think about that. And, and also the effect that that might have uh, a year from now if we keep on this inflation path with prices – there really hasn't been when you when you and I've talked about how inflation is viewed as a percentage mm. and not the actual dollars of the increase in 
what's going up. And we've talked about the fact, because it's very important for people to understand, that the government will attempt to BS you and say, well, inflation is coming down, inflation's going up. The rate may be coming down, but understand that the the 6%, if you see 6% inflation from last year, and, and you look at last year, understand that they take it year to year, so that 6% inflation is on top of already an increased 7% inflation from a year ago yeah. from, you know, from the year preceding that. Yeah. And so when you're talking about prices are constantly going up. So as the, the Biden administration keeps telling you things are getting better and you're getting relief and you're not, and that goes on for another year and a half, that's good. I don't, I, just, I can't fathom how, I, I don't know, but it's not going to be a positive for Biden, but it also may be because you've got Trump supporters saying, well, look, Trump's a shoo because of the numbers right now. Mm. Well, we'll talk about what it looks like the campaign that DeSantis is going to hit on him for the next year. And it'll be a year when we're into the primary season at this particular point. And with inflation hitting Republicans, yeah, will they will will Republicans say, well, Okay, Trump was okay. Remember, a year is a long time. Uh, we need a guy who can get the job done because that's what DeSantis is running on. I can get the job done, no drama. And I've yeah. proved I can get the job done. Yeah. And we've got record support. I'm a conservative. I get the job done. There's no drama. What he's saying to people is, I'm an adult. I'm not a child who gets involved in drama. That's the message. Well, Will, yeah, it's, it's I don't believe it's effective right now. Will it be effective six months from now? But more importantly, will that message be effective a year from now if there's the back and forth between what Trump is undergoing and his outburst? Will that as we move closer, inflation continues to go up? Will that affect Republicans a year from now would be the question to ask. Well, and then how would it affect the general? He's different than both candidates, both other major candidates on the left and the right. Because Biden has a lot of drama in his own right. You know, you you look at the, no, the yeah, drama absolutely, that, yeah. that Biden yeah. brings and, and, of course, all the problems that he's created. But the behavior of the individual and the belief, whether people believe a DeSantis could uh, essentially come in and do the job and and remove the drama from the White House. Now, the left is going to throw everything at him. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you know who it is on the right. There's going to be plenty of drama, and the left is going to make sure of that. It's whether or not you engage. Whether you participate in the drama. Yep. If you engage, then you become part of it. And that's exactly part of the point. For the left, they want you to engage. Well, you know, and and I guess we'll see. Um, it's expected that uh, the Fed will move a quarter of a point later today. Uh, that puts us at a target rate of four point, uh, Fed target rate of four point seven five to five, which means they're not serious about inflation. That means inflation is going to be uh, significant. Uh, likely for the next year or two.
McNamara and Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. If you want to chat. So, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, uh, just uh, thinking yesterday, Ramaswamy and um, Nikki Haley. And, I'm sorry, who? <laughs> well, no, you're, that, that's, that's the point. I mean, he's every single day, yeah, yeah. you know, he will be on social media. I'm, I'm, you know, I follow him on Twitter. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every single day he's making great points. He, he has been for a long time, yeah. Every yeah. interview he does, people say, we like what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But he's going nowhere. Right. In every campaign, you have to separate yourself from the from the uh from the pack. The, the front runner. Yeah. Yeah. You have to separate yourself. You have to eventually separate yourself and say you need to vote for me mm-hmm. because not just my ideas, but I can win because. Here's why I'm a better choice than the person right. that right now is out front. You eventually have to, Ramaswamy and Haley eventually have to attack Trump, and they haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's just politics. You have to, and I mean a, attack in a way where you're differentiating, you're differentiating yourself from them this is why i'm different from him mm-hmm. otherwise it's like well why are you running mm-hmm. you know there we've we've got DeSantis, we've got trump ideologically speaking on the issues trump and and DeSantis agree what probably on 95 percent of things mm-hmm. They agree. Ramaswamy probably agrees with them on ninety-five percent of things. Nikki Haley agrees with them on ninety-five percent of things. Mm-hmm. And so, why should you run? And that's why you know Nikki Haley and Ramaswamy. You know, if the day they attack Trump, boom, they're in the news. But then Trump attacks back. Yeah, right. And so Trump really hasn't gone after either of those because he doesn't view either of those candidates. As a challenge, he's going after DeSantis and has gone after DeSantis because he views DeSantis as a challenge. Now, we've asked whether it would be effective or not. You saw the other day the shot that he was trying to imply that DeSantis was gay. No, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah, where he said, wait, wait till the Democrats come after you about a woman or a man in your past life, basically. Oh, okay. All right. You know, set like a sexual harassment thing. Wait till the media yeah. comes out. I'm paraphrasing you, but he said a man. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, he's implying that DeSantis is gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. Okay. All right. <clears throat> that he that he threw out. As, and, hmm. and so it's like the, the question is, you know, how is, you know, how is DeSantis going to run against Trump? Hmm. You eventually have to attack the... The power base, and the big power base is Trump. Hmm. He still has the advantage. He still has the numbers in in the polling. Now, so it was interesting yesterday. Uh, 
And he had talked about the fact when he talked to Piers Morgan. Again, that interview, I think, is going to be on Thursday. Yeah. On News News Nation. Yeah. Uh, So we only have, you know, partial transcripts uh, of it. Right. But it seems like what he's doing is saying, I'm not running against Trump. Because he said, I'm running against, you know, he he said, look, I'm going to show the people that, you know, that I'm the one that can beat, you know, that, that I'm running against Biden. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why I can beat Biden. Mm. And and so he never, it doesn't seem like unless he's asked the question, he doesn't go after Trump. Right. And yeah. I'm wondering, is that the philosophy? You only go after Trump when people ask you, what's the difference between you and Trump? And then you can say, somebody asked me, what's the difference? I have to tell them the difference. But, uh, uh, I, you know, and uh, but I'm. I'm going, you know, I'm going to run by telling you how I can beat Biden, implying putting that seat into people's head. I can beat Biden. Trump can't. Yeah. Right. And I I just I now I don't know how long he can how long he can walk that tightrope. But I want to get to uh, to hear where he uh, he says. um, uh it says uh, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis cast himself as a pragmatic leader whose no-nonsense style could propel him to the White House, dismissing former President Trump's recent criticisms as nothing more than background noise that isn't worth engaging. In terms of my approach to leadership, I get, uh, I get uh, uh, personnel in government who have the agenda of the people and share our agenda. You bring your own agenda in, you're gone. We're just not going to have that, DeSantis said, as uh, Morgan detailed uh, in a preview of the interview in the New York Post. So the way we run the government, I think, is no daily drama. Focus on the big picture. Put points on the board. And I think that's something that is very important. Hmm. Now, you know that when he was asked a question the other day about Trump, the Trump campaign was furious about it and attacked him back for it. When DeSantis says, I don't know what goes into pain, even though he attacked Bragg and said, you know, this is all political. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't know what goes into pain. Hush money to a porn star to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just can't speak to that. Well, he did speak to it. By not, I by think not, you just did. By not, by not by sp- saying what right. you just did. By, yeah. by not yeah. speaking about it. Yeah. DeSantis doubled down on those comments in the interview <laughs> with Morgan. This is, this is Fox analysis of yeah. it. From the New York Post article. Mm. Um, well, there's a lot of speculation about what the underlying conduct is, that it, it is purported uh, uh, to be uh, it, and the reality is that uh, it's just outside my wheelhouse. I'm not going to comment. I mean, it's just not something that I can speak to. Mm. Uh, he also told Morgan, at the end of the day, as a leader, you really want to look to people like our founding fathers, like what type of character. It's not saying that you don't ever make a mistake in your personal life, but I think what type of character are you bringing? So somebody who really set the standard is George Washington because he always put the republic over his own personal interest. When we won the American uh, Revolution, Washington surrendered his sword. 
so um, hmm. I'm trying to think of uh, what else. Uh, uh, Trump, uh, DeSantis, DeSantis dismissed the name calling as background noise, telling Morgan that it's not important for me to be fighting with uh, people on social media. I don't know how to spell the uh, the sanctimonious one. <laughs> I don't really know what it means, but I kind of like it. It's long. It's got a lot of vowels. We'll go with that. That's fine. I mean, you can call me whatever you want, just as long as you can also call me a winner, because that's what we've been able to do in Florida, is put a lot of points on the board and really take this state to the next level. Well, there you go. Well, you know, uh, he's right on that. And and really the question is, all right, can he do that outside of Florida? Can he lead a nation, not just a state? And a lot of it is going to be about, I think, about the behavior of the individuals involved. Biden is defiant at every turn. And now he's defiant, I believe, internally. I think with his own people, he's being defiant. And these are the things that you have to look at with with uh, the general election. But in order to get there, you have to get around Trump. And if Trump is indicted, here's my question. <laughs> what if he's indicted more than once? What if Bragg indicts and then the Georgia indictment comes down later this year? It's a possibility. And, you know, again, how does it weigh on the voter? You know, there, there, there's something to be said about, like, the Mar-a-Lago raid and the two weeks following. The fundraising was crazy for Trump. But it didn't last. And the question is, why not? Well, a couple of things there. Because the message coming from the Trump camp was inconsistent about the documents. Now, all of that was a wash once they found the documents at the University of Pennsylvania office of Biden. <laughs> when they found started finding the documents of Biden, everything about Mar-a-Lago was, oh, what? What? Yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yep. yeah. Oh, I seem to remember something about Trump having documents, too. Well, I think it was brought up by some Democrats while Obama was right in his analysis of Trump. Yeah. Because it's like Democrats are riding high. Oh, this is a slam dunk. And then mm. Biden and then comes Biden. along. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and that's it. it. It's it is a you know, it's so. Then it is whether or not you can you know, because. Any indictment that comes down on the classified documents from the special prosecutor is just going to be laughable, uh, especially following the the Biden document thing, which I suggest is still not, in fact, is far from over. Uh, then you look at the Bragg case. It's about as empty as it gets. Then what do you have? You have Georgia. And in that, you know, the question there. What would they, how far could could that case go? Is that just another empty case? I think the Trump camp looks at it collectively and says, 
man, it looks like everybody's coming after me and doing it in a purely political, political way, right, way. Right. And, and it's just, you know, great for us because it really positions us as the underdog. But that can only go on for so long. And, and that will only go so far. And when you when you look at DeSantis, because obviously you, you see what DeSantis is, is you know did did yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get involved in the name calling. And then the reporters will ask you, "What do you think about the name calling?" Well, it's interesting. I mean, I guess, but you know, we don't deal in that drama every day. We deal in what we can do, and we wish to talk about the uh, the issues and the successes in Florida. And his goal is to pound over and over again. We're not about the drama. We're not about the drama. We're about results, not drama. There is no other way for him to go, <clears throat> DeSantis. I mean, I if I'm a political consultant, I'm telling him, yeah, you need to ride. You you need to walk that tightrope. Mm-hmm. And and you have to ask your question a year from now, you know, really, you know, 11 months from now, 10 months from now, when the primary season is kicking off, will the name calling from Trump, I already believe it's not as effective with DeSantis, but he's been doing it for so long. Name calling a Democrat is one thing. Mm-hmm. Name calling a Republican, where Republicans even say, and Trump supporters say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think the one you know, thing what, that uh, that so far that DeSantis has done is <clears throat> actually disarm it a little bit by bringing up the whole sanctimonious thing. Well, it's actually brought up by the reporter. He doesn't bring it up. The reporters bring it up. Right. Well, he but, responds. But he, that's an important. The fact that no, he yeah. engaged on that yeah. and disarmed it yeah. is big. Because when you do that, if you can disarm it and laugh at it, if you can laugh it off, it becomes nothing. Yeah. And if he said, if well, you react to it and engage as a result of reacting to it, then you've shown, well, he can get to you. Exactly. As long as you're laughing it off, you disarm it, and it falls away. If it had any power whatsoever. Right. Because you're going to be, and he, DeSantis knows it. Every every time Trump says something about him, the media will ask him about it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to bring it up. He doesn't say, Donald Trump said this about me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he, he completely ignores it. Until the reporter brings it up, because well, it seems like your reporters are obsessed with the you know the name calling mm-hmm. or whatever. We don't care about the name call. You don't even need to address Trump. You don't even need you. You can sit there and say you reporters are just obsessed with the name calling or the drama. We're not involved. You don't I've never mentioned Trump's name. You mentioned the reporter bringing it up, mm-hmm. and it ha- it's the it's the same effectiveness. We don't deal in that. And again, I don't know. I don't know how effective – I believe it's the only way that he can go because that's the one weakness Trump has. That's the perception of Republicans. I wish he get off the dra- – many Republicans. I wish he get off the drama. I'll support him. And Republicans or Democrats are attacking, attacking him unfairly. But I wish he would stop it. I wish he'd stop going down rabbit holes and focus on his accomplishments and what he has done. And for the life of me, we don't know why. So – DeSantis, it's the only path to go down because it is the one weakness that he, that, I mean, he has more than one weakness, but it's a big one. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
Sports Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. You can listen to our podcast, which is our show, when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. So I was thinking that because we've been having, I, I think, and we're going to have some pretty interesting political discussions on, you know, the, the, the campaign between DeSantis and, uh, and as we're talking, the unofficial campaign of, of uh, DeSantis and the unofficial primary campaign going on uh, right now, which we believe started in the last 36 hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I started thinking to myself during the top of the hour, what would we be talking about? I mean, we would have nothing to talk about if Kamala Harris decided to run against Biden. It's like, okay, um. <laughs> good luck um let us know how that works out for you um any advice for them yeah um, quit it's like wow uh <laughs> you know i i will say this so one thing that uh the the uh, on attack on the issues and, and i do believe it probably is that the uh, the uh, DeSantis camp was, I think, probably salivating to hit Trump on 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 this particular issue after Trump initially came out and has attacked DeSantis on his response to COVID. Mm-hmm. Now you look at it; and it's like, okay, let's find the weak spot there for DeSantis and COVID. Well, very early on, he wasn't the first to open yeah. back up. Yeah. Eh. Is that really going to hold a lot of water? Hmm. No. What did DeSantis, when he asked by Piers Morgan, what would you do different than Trump? I would have fired Fauci. And I went, ooh, that's effective, even if a little unfair, even if unfair, because we didn't find out the majority of what Fauci was doing until after Trump was long gone from office. Yeah, right. But there is such a dislike. Is that effective politically? Yeah. Well, it, it's especially effective because of what you first mentioned, and that is Trump going after him for, you know, not being the first to reopen or whatever, his mishandling, what Trump calls his mishandling of the whole uh, COVID thing as a governor. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to play in that arena, then that I could see that being effective to that degree. Uh, because Fauci is so disliked. I, I would I would also say he could probably... And look, here's the thing. DeSantis is not about to play all of his cards in front of any one person at any one time. I think if, you know, if he's asked directly about something specific, he'll answer. But I I think there are a number of things that he could say. Like, well, you know, when I appoint someone and they're confirmed by the Senate as a cabinet member, I'm going to work with them, but I'm going to have great confidence in them before I 
nominate them for that position. And this is what I would do different. I, I'm not going to turn on someone, you know, if I have been the one to seek them out and, you know, the the process of the nomination and Senate confirmation, if you you can rest assured that if I nominate someone, by the time I nominate them, I have vetted them properly and therefore would have no reason to go after them. We, we can have our differences even while they're serving in the cabinet if they are confirmed by the Senate. But I wouldn't go as far as what he did with certain cabinet members. Well, that goes or back. people that he's hired. That goes back to the no drama. Yeah. Yep. And, and then at that point, the message is, I'm an adult trying to solve problems. I'm not trying to get into an argument or go down rabbit holes for the sake of doing it. That is a weakness that every Republican that I've talked to, even the most loyal Trump supporters, understand yeah, and have acknowledged right. they don't like. Right. Everyone I've talked to privately, even if publicly the most loyal Trump supporters, they understand Trump's weaknesses. And they understand mm-hmm. that that's that that uh, and Republicans who even support Trump privately, they're worried. They believe that he can beat DeSantis. Mm-hmm. They have doubts of whether Trump can win the presidency. Because they understand that how does Trump get independence to back him now? He might be able to do it. Or Biden is so bad where independents say, well, the choice between Biden and Trump, we'd rather go with Trump because we agree with him on the issues. And do we want do we want the drama or do we want complete incompetence and babbling and a radical agenda? Yeah, right. And so, I mean, that's the, you know, you look at this election here and you don't, you know, you the the incumbent is so bad. I'm trying to think in American history, modern American history that I've been following, hmm. where a poll stated that 75% of the incumbent party don't want them to run. Right. I I don't know. You would have to you would have to show me. I would be surprised to learn if that's ever been the case. In modern times. Yeah. And you cannot understate the weakness of Biden and the fact that there's still another year and a half until we're seriously in that election season. Yeah. Right. And that's a year and a half of inflation, a year and a half of more insanity. Look, he, you know, we believe that the things that he did over the last couple of months, he did because he's being told he needs to move to the center. And I don't know if he's getting upset at his new chief of staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was said that since Klain is gone, he seems to be moving to the center. Mm-hmm. But then again, he didn't move to the center. Because, well, he, you know, because there was a criticism from the left, you know, why is he allowing some Alaska drilling? Well, what the White House focused on is he didn't, there was nothing he could do about it. Mm-hmm. They didn't take that as a, they may have initially wanted to take that as a victory, believing that they could ride that line. But the pressure was so huge from the left 
where he came out and said, no, no, 99.99% of Alaska, we're going to completely ban. We're going to ban. We had no choice in this whatsoever. We had to do this. I don't believe that's the case, but that's what he's trying to sell. Right. And so he he can't even move to the middle because when the pressure comes from the left, he can't handle it. So well, he's going to be all over the place. Well, and, and, and there's part of the problem of playing by the very old handbook. The playbook for the left has been, over the years, until recently, has been, all right, you need to, at some point, you need to move to the middle. Now, usually, that's after the primary. But, of course, no one's going to really primary against him. I mean, I know there's one, but that's not going to happen. And so, you try and do that now i don't know about the timing i i really am curious about that because it's it's clear that he's tr- trying to become centered but the problem is with today's far left you can't ever move to the center you can't do that they'll come after you immediately and you'll hear about it but he's going to be defiant and it's it's going to be the back and forth internally that's not going to change now or ever with him or any other Democrat that tries to move to the center before an election. I'm telling you, he was, I don't know if you've heard any of the stuff from yesterday, but mm, yeah. he was horrible. Oh, it was bad. He, he couldn't it bad. get it. He could not get a sentence out no. when he was reading from the teleprompter. No, it was I mean, horrible. It was one of his worst days yesterday. Yeah. And you think about it, and this is the fear that they have. How does he run? And the Democrat, I'm, I'm telling you, the one thing that isn't talked about enough is the absolute panic of the Democrats. In, and I'm talking about the DNC, mm-hmm. that how the hell do we get Biden through this election? You can't hide him like you did last time. You know, but the, the fact is, the only thing they want him to be able to do is walk up, you know, with the helicopter sound in the background and everybody screaming. And he goes, Whatever, goodbye. And then he turns around and walks away. And then uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre the next day, he's answering questions. He answered them yesterday. Everybody knows he's not really answering the questions. Yeah. Well, and and the problem is a lot like what my youngest daughter said to me the other day. We were moving some things around. And, you know, of course, I'm moaning and groaning because I'm aging. (laughs) And she just says... Well, Dad, face it, you're not getting any younger. Oh, And she just kind of walks away, leaving oh. me there. Now, that was the worst pain I'd felt all day. And she's right. That's why it's so painful. It's because it's the truth. <laughs> and the same with Biden. It was is that it's not bad. going to get any better. It's not no. going to improve. No, it's, it's not. not. Oh, it was bad yesterday. He couldn't get through. He was reading. He was stumbling. Oh, it was it was bad. horrible. It was really horrible. Yeah. And, you know, I watched it a couple of times. After the second or third time, I thought, I probably am not going to watch it again. It really is that cringeworthy. It's horrible because in my mind, I go down, you know, the, the very real concern. I go straight to the real concern of... Who's making the decisions here? Yeah, he's because he is commander in chief. 
Yep. And he's just simply not coherent. No, he's not. And I know they deny it, which, again, makes it so you you can criticize him and say he's completely clueless, but there's obviously cognitive problems. You know, here's the problem for them if DeSantis wins the nomination. If, if DeSantis does get in and he wins the nomination, he wins the primary over Trump. The debate stage between DeSantis and Biden, if you're on the left, you fear that. Because all of the moments of replay and all of the sound bites and the viral stuff will be because of Biden. Yeah. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, uh, Let's go to Richard in Atlanta. Richard, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Hi, Richard. Hey, good morning, fellas. Listen, I appreciate it that you touched on what I was going to talk about with the COVID thing. You know, this is still a very sensitive sore across America. It's not even began to heal. And I believe if DeSantis... And I appreciate your commentary about him not playing his cards, too. I know he's a calculated fellow. I really like him. And, you know, I voted for Donald Trump twice. I'm going to be a reluctant third-timer if I have to be. And I got a lot of friends who feel the same way. But I believe if, if Ron DeSantis will pound on Donald Trump over his handling of the lockdowns and effectively giving over his presidency to Fauci, you know, knowing what we know now, and maybe you know, he had a, he had a, he he just like he gave up. Yeah, and thank you for the call. It's you know, I I don't know how far it goes. You can say, you know, you can bring up uh, the name Fauci, and you can kind of point to that. Um. I, I do believe going forward, I think one thing that DeSantis can do is separate himself from not just Trump, but also Biden and say with with Biden, we're going to get to the bottom of it. As long as if I become president, we're going to work every single day to find out how this happened. Yeah. And, and look, uh, politically, you know, because Trump attacked, uh, you know, went after uh, DeSantis on covid you knew that there was going to be a response and the response is response is i would have fired fauci mm-hmm. now understand donald trump was not responsible for lockdowns right that came from the governors and the other thing that i think would be un and i think real in the real world it's unfair is you know we're looking at covid now uh from march of 2023 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in in when covid was still increasing i mean yeah, there were discussions, and Trump was leading the discussion. You know, he was part of, I won't say he was leading it, but he was part of the discussion on where COVID, you know, on where it came from. Yeah. But to when, when you look at that, what was going on at that point, it was an attempt to get the vaccines. Trump wasn't responsible for the lockdowns. Now, 
the advice from the CDC might have been responsible for it. But Trump wanted to open by the time, you know, we would have gotten to Trump's second term. He would have opened things up quicker. You would not have had the mask mandate as long as you had it. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, on airlines that went, mm-hmm. you know, for such a long time. Right. For what, almost two years? Yeah. I and, think that and, right. and, and uh, the, you know, the the uh, uh, the eviction moratorium wouldn't have gone as long as it did. Right. And, and so I think that it's a little, I think it's politically, yes, because Trump hit him, yeah. he's going to hit back. And I think it's very effective to right. stick to a person who represents a philosophy right. in politics, which is Fauci. But the truth is, Trump was president for the first 10 months. Right. Really, the first, you know, nine or 10 months of COVID. What we knew then compared to what we know about Fauci is worlds apart. So, judging Trump by what we know about Fauci now. You didn't know it back then. Yeah. We didn't know it back then. Right. So. Yep. Um, you know, it's, and I I think most people want to be, kind of want to be done with the, the whole COVID thing, but they also want the truth as to how yeah. it started. And, and, and I, and I think the key is you, you just say, I would have fired Fauci. I would have fired right. Fauci. I would have right. fired Fauci. And then you put Trump on the defensive at that point. You know, yeah, and that's right. that's what you do now. Whether it's fair or not, and you can say, "Yeah," but Trump hitting him and saying he was weak on COVID, DeSantis, when that's viewed as his strength, is going to be an awful tough sell. So his response was, you know, boom. But uh, again, I think the last caller, Mike, right? I think it was Mike in Atlanta. You're you you are quite a, you know, you are uh, quite the norm of what I find out there. Yeah. From many yeah. Republicans. Right. Yeah. When you said you voted for Trump twice, you will vote him again for him again if you have to. Right. But clearly you want DeSantis. Yeah. In this time. It's not that you dislike Trump. You want the person who you believe can win. And that's, yeah. I think, indicative of probably. I would say 60 percent of Republicans right now. Yeah, it might be it might be 70. Mm. Now, they all know the vulnerabilities of Trump running again. But I think I think probably 60 percent are willing to say it publicly, as the last caller did. Right. And that's indicative of where the Republican Party is right now. The Democratic Party right now, they they don't. Just lost. Well, and that's you know, that that's what it gets down to. Then it gets down to. All right. State by state. What does the support yeah. look like in the primary? You know, I think Trump gains a lot of leverage if he's indicted. But I don't know how long-lasting that will be. It depends on no. how those cases go. And it also depends on how the campaigns are run. Does it last for 10 months right. or 11 months as we head into the and, primary and season? And that's what it would require. And that's a yep. great unknown. Yep. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. 
And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. You know, you think about, uh, I was just, because I, I find it fascinating. You and I talk about if you're going to run for president of the United States, you know, what's, what's your plan to do so? I mean, what is what is your goal? A lot of these candidates know they don't have a, they don't have a chance of winning. So why are they running? What is their point to do it, to rise, to raise their profile, whatever? And I think about Nikki Haley and then Ramaswamy and, and, you know, Nikki Haley has sort of just disappeared completely. Yeah. It's like, okay, right, when yeah. she first ran, okay, it was great. Uh, I did see an article the other day uh, because uh, – Oh, that was reacting to somebody said Don Lemon was wrong to say she's not in her prime. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. it was Stephen Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. Oh, okay, all right. You know, hmm. he called her first lady. He goes, she's a former first lady. She's a former governor, but yeah, and he says, you know, basically yeah. she's a woman you need to treat her with respect. I'm like, okay. well, that's about a month late. <laughs> Yeah, right. I, I'm like, did Is somebody a say rerun or did something? So, did, did somebody say something else about Nikki Haley? But you just wonder. I mean, when when they run and they put together a campaign and and you know they they raise money, you just go, well, what's your point? You know, what is your point to get on the debate stage? Is your point to do it because you just you sit there and 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 uh, Ramaswamy, especially every single day, is coming out with stuff that as a conservative slash libertarian. You love to see. And I see it every day, and I'm like, oh, that's really good, but nobody's noticing. Oh, that's really good, but nobody's noticing. That's Oh, that's an excellent point. There. Oh, but nobody is noticing. And so, uh, you know, but he's on social media every single day. Every single day he's on there. But again, is anybody noticing? And then Nikki Haley, the same thing. It's like nothing because everybody knows it's between DeSantis and and Trump, and that's what it's going to be. Right. But you just yeah. wonder, I just wonder the mindset of people, because the only reason I could see if you're Nikki Haley or Ramaswamy is you want to raise your profile for down the road. I think so, especially for Ramaswamy. Uh, you could easily make the case there's plenty of time. He's in his, uh, he's what, 37 years old. So there's plenty of time for him to build a career if he wants that, right, uh, to build a name for himself. Um don't do what Beto did, <laughs> which would do just the opposite. Oh. But there's a very clear difference in those two individuals. Um, one talks about very real and meaningful things. The other guy just seems to be kind of lost altogether. Um, and Ramaswamy is not interested at all in being a rock star, I don't believe. Uh, but he's very charismatic nonetheless and, and is very passionate about what he believes i think there is a future for him uh i don't know what that looks like i'm not sure but i think if he wants to be in american politics and wants to run for office i think that there is uh definitely plenty of time for him to uh make a name for himself oh uh, i i did see oh i gotta find the article it was in politico it had it was definitely it was definitely in a um a uh, liberal publication. Mm. It said <laughs> Democrats panicking that Stacey Abrams may want to run again. When... <laughs> no, I think I think I I don't know why she would not run again. But interesting that they look at her and and now and say, okay, clearly the people, at least in Georgia, have decided. No. Okay, I I have to do this. I'm yeah. 
Uh, you have to find out if she's. No, no. I put Beto O'Rourke in and uh, oh, Google and then put news to yeah. see what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, not not really. I don't. There's nothing here. He's not making news at all. He goes, uh, okay, that okay, Beto O'Rourke's political future in question. I think it's been in question. That's for from a long November time. of last year, though. Yeah, right. Look, I think if if his if the uh, El Paso district came open again. I think there is a chance that he could go back to that district and run and win. I don't know on a state level. He got close to Ted Cruz. He did as good as he did, I guess, against Ted Cruz because of Ted Cruz. And I think it was, I think a lot of people had at that time uh, in Texas had a bad taste in their mouth uh, from Ted Cruz. Being at the convention in 2016, the whole vote your conscience thing and a couple of other moves by Ted Cruz that had, I think, Republicans in Texas question whether, you know, that kind of behavior would, was acceptable. I think that's the only reason that you saw Beto do as well as he did against Ted Cruz. Uh, I don't think Ted Cruz has that working against him now in Texas. Uh, that's going to be something where if, if Beto wants to get into, you know, uh, pol- politics at all, he's either going to have to move or go back to his own or his uh, home district of El Paso and run for uh, that uh, that seat there. If it's if it comes open, you know, it's uh, it's when when you when you think about because one of the questions we have is who are the rising, you know, who are the rising Democrats and. One of the the great questions is nobody has any idea who's a viable candidate for the Democrats right now. Mm -hmm. Now, part of it's because of the issues. I mean, you can't discount the issues. You know, one of the things is, you know, remember, it was going to be it was going to just remember Mm. that's the Cuomo. I mean, you you brought it up the other day, the (laughs) whole Cuomo thing. Remember the adoration towards him, how it just how it how it disappears, how you rise to the level of this incredible deity, then fall. And it's like, okay, next but there is no next and, you know, Newsom, the whole thing. And then people started saying, well, New- look, Newsom isn't as strong as you think, because right. the the thing that he has to face. Yeah, he has he has the the look of what Democrats want, except for the fact he has what Democrats don't want, that he's a white male. Right. And right. And we're talking about the identity politics they're they're obsessed with. But we don't believe that's really the case that Democrats don't want him. We believe it's because this 2024 race will be, do you, if he gets into it, and let's say if he's facing DeSantis, it's definitely, do you wish to be Florida or do you wish to be California? Oh, I did see an article the other day. I'm like, wow, not everybody who moves to Florida is happy that they made the move. Let's talk to some people who made it. This person yeah, is upset yeah, because yeah. they thought they had the job and then the job fell through. Uh-huh. And so they're not happy being in Florida. And then they find out that, you know, you know, that uh, housing can be expensive because everybody is moving down here. So it's not all, you know, roses moving down to Florida. And like, and no. jo- Joe yeah. Smith moved yeah. to Florida. And it's like, OK, now they're starting to do individual stories. Yeah. I'm like, that's how desperate they are. I saw that in San Antonio. Uh, one of the San Antonio newspapers highlighted a family that was moving out of Texas. Oh, we don't like how what uh, the state has become. 
It's basically pointing to the fact that it's a red state. It's like, I'm sorry. How long have you lived here? You know, and trying to counter the whole thing that people are moving to Texas. The numbers show it. And Florida, too. And other states. And that's going to be the case for quite some time. I mean, Arizona, Utah, uh, you know, Texas, Florida. They're gaining in numbers and in big, big numbers for a reason. And and it's also not to say that everybody that moves to those states is a conservative. But they move there for the conservative policies that are in place that bring about more jobs, Mm -hmm. better cost of living, lower taxes. All of those things play into why people go there. Now, they may not vote that way when they get there. We did find, though, remember, it was, I think, the election cycle that Cruz and, and Beto were in. I think it was 2018 when they found, they did a study that people who moved to Texas from California, I believe it were, was, were it? more... Uh, rigid in their voting for Republicans Mm -hmm. than people that were already here. Yep. Yep. Yeah, from Cal. It was from California. It was from Cal. I think I I remember that. I remember us talking about that. Yeah. They were more likely to vote Republican than the people that were already here. I don't know how they measured that, you know, uh, versus the people that are already here because there are plenty of Democrats. And now and and I, I know there's. I know there's people that are conservative in California, and there's millions of them because whenever Eric and I say, "Yeah, go ahead, do the five million dollar reparations in San Francisco," <laughs> go ahead, do the, uh, the, and they know that we're they they understand the point, but I get it all the time. Shut up, McNamara! Mm-hmm. You guys need to shut up. And then you know, nice smiley faces. Yeah. They know we don't mean it. We're trying right. to make a point that right. you know that if you're going, if if you know. If, well, we've seen it. I mean, you look at Portland, Oregon, and and you see the situation that they're in. And you know, there's an article out in the Wall Street Journal about the uh, the uh, new um, prosecutor in Seattle, who hmm. went after like it's a couple of dozen of criminals in Seattle that were constantly committing so many of the crimes, and it was like you don't let them out of jail, you put them into jail, you put them into jail. She ran on the Law and Order you know, platform, mm. but it's it's what we've said, that's what you do. Because so many of the crimes are committed by a very small number of people who you keep letting out of jail. Yeah. And we'll, in fact, I'll have that article coming up. It was the Wall Street Journal editorial page that, uh, that, uh, that had that. I mean, the solutions are obvious, but they don't want the solutions. And so if they don't want the solutions, it's a legit question to ask. For example, as we did yesterday with San Francisco, and the five million dollar, you know that that the entire, you know, all the city supervisors, everybody, it was unanimous. Mm-hmm. Five million dollars reparation. Mm-hmm. Well, we've done the math on it. We've done the math without feelings. Yeah, uh, and even tried to do the math with feelings, and there was no difference in how the numbers worked out. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do by proposing it. What they are proposing is the complete and total bankruptcy and destruction of the city of San Francisco. But we've realized that makes them feel good because 
we don't know. The only reason I can think of, because I can't get into their minds, I look at the motivation of most people. You would only ask for something if you felt so guilty about your own racism, about your own thoughts that were that bothered you so much and your conscience was so guilty about you belonging to a political party that wraps itself in identity politics and judging people by groups instead of individuals that you say, well, the only solution is, is to propose something that would destroy the city. And therefore, that's our act of contrition because of our guilt that we feel because we're a bunch of damn racists. Mm-hmm. Because I can't figure out what other reason you would propose something that would destroy the city. Yeah. We also brought up the possibility that they view that as the ultimate in virtue signaling. Come up with something that will never happen, but you can claim we're willing to destroy our city in order to show our morality, even though it will never happen. We're because willing it's to all sacrifice about, everything. Because it's all about imagery anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Crowley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE, uh, 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 if you'd like to get in quickly to Mike in Missouri. Mike, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you doing? My name's Mike. I'm from Missouri. Yes. Hey, I was uh, uh, listening to you talk about the reparations and the perspectives on it. I have a strange one. I live in Missouri. I get a lot of people kick back on this. I say give it to them. And the reason I say that is I'm a middle-class working guy up in the middle of the night working. And if they give the reparations out to these communities, middle-class people get a chance to get our hands on some of that money, meaning they might buy cars, they might buy new homes, they might fix air conditioners, just different things like that. You know, I understand it seems odd that we would give people that money. But once again, with the mindset of trying to get it back in the American people's hands. All right. We're just limited on time now. You claim you're a conservative? Yes, sir. You're not a conservative. What do you mean I'm not? Because you're to sit there and say that the reparations by taking money to for some to give to others would boost the economy. And you claim you're a conservative, which means you're a conservative on economics and you understand economics, that is impossible. It will always be a drag when you take money from some. You're not creating any wealth. You're simply taking it from some and giving it to others. That's where your flaw is. Well, the money's going away. We don't see it in our communities. That's all I'm saying. And I am hardcore conservative. I believe in guns, God. I mean, well, you're, yeah, I'm but, yeah, but you're, yeah, but you're, your your fiscal mindset is pure socialism, which is not a conservative. That the government should be in right. charge of taking people's money, some people's money, and giving it to others. others. Right. That's not a conservative principle in the least.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we're Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. <laughs> I just, I feel just a... Uh, and I don't believe we were too hard on that call. I mean, for example, I... I, I will say that I when the last caller when I asked him well because he had he had told Alan our phone screener that he's a he's a conservative and so when he talked about the fact that reparations could be good because you know you give that money and the people spend that money and it helps the overall economy and I said and I tell him well you're not a conservative you could tell he seemed a little bit offended by it I I wanted the shock value there because it's important to have that shock value don't you think Eric. When people think that they're a conservative now, he said, I'm for God and guns. Okay, that may make you a social conservative. But fiscally, if that's the philosophy that you believe in, that the transfer, that the government taking from some and giving to others is what makes an economy work or makes an economy better, that's purely the propaganda of socialism. Yeah, if, um Right. That that's it because then you get into the redistribution of of income because justifying it by saying well look at all the things they could do with the money that's not a justification what you're saying is that in the end it would be great for some people that would be get right. benefits from that money being spent right and and so when when you think uh and so, and so I know the response would be, well, yeah, but when, so when we fund government, it actually hurts the economy. Well, of course it does. Mm-hmm. Whenever you take it, whenever you take money uh, from productive purposes and redistribute it, re- redistribute it, where the goal is not to create more goods and services, yes, you hurt an economy. But. We aren't against we aren't against the constitutional designation of the fact that yes, taxes are a must. That's part of the cost of doing business. Part of my profit making and your profit making uh is is reduced by the things that are necessary for the cost of doing business, right? the cost of surviving and having a particular quality of life. But it does hurt your bottom line. And and so the point is, though, so, again, I'm not against taxes. I understand taxes are necessary. I am for a system that the founding fathers set up for a limited federal government. And if you're going to spend money, you do it closer to the actual taxpayers that are paying it, which would be state and local. I think states should have a lot more authority than the federal government does. I think the federal government is way involved in way too much that states should actually be uh, be involved in. But no, you're very much like if if you're if you are social conservative, but a 
fiscal liberal or a fiscal socialist because a fiscal liberal may just be saying to yourself, well, we just want to spend money to help people. But once you get to the philosophy, as the last caller did, where he says it's good for government to be spending money because the point he was trying to make for us is it overall helps an entire economy, that's when you get into the socialist propaganda mindset. And that's all we're trying to tell the caller is that that's what you're, you may not know it, but that's what you're endorsing. Uh, and so, or you may be a seminar caller. You may be a seminar caller who calls up and says, I'm a conservative and, and you promote start something with that, that premise. Right. right. And then you promote something very, very liberal. Right. And, and we've dealt with that. We, we've dealt with that before. Mm-hmm. But he did seem generally offended, though. So when I said, so, yeah. <laughs> I said, you're not a conservative. What? <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, the, the idea of the government going in and then saying, because then where would you draw the line? If you believe, no, it's okay that they do that because people will just spend the money. Well, if that's the case, then the Treasury should just mail a bunch of large bills to everybody. Well, right? Because there is no ill effect. Well, we're seeing, we're living through the ill effect right now. Right. But I mean, putting like a billion dollars in everybody's account, where would, where would you draw right. the line? Well, but but I mean, for the last, and we didn't get a time. I eh, I wish I would have held him over and and you know taken the call after the top of the hour to to talk more about it because we're actually dealing with it right now. We're dealing with inflation. Mm-hmm. Inflation a result is a result of government uh, transferring payments from some and giving it to others. Mm-hmm. You see the inflation that it's caused. Now the others, you may say, well, who are the others? Taxes haven't gone up. Well, the Others are your children and grandchildren. We found the way. We found the way to, to legitimize uh, taxation without representation. Tax the unborn. Well, and it's it, it's pretty clear now that the current um, uh, chair for the Federal Reserve is not serious about inflation. So we're going to have sizable inflation at least through the end of twenty four. I believe uh, it's certainly going to be well above the 2% target. So there's no, it, there's really no end in sight in terms of what's going on right now. And think about that. We're looking at um, uh, the the slowdown in new home builds, the, the permits, a huge slowdown where we are above the national average, a huge drop. That's going to continue because you're not going to have the interest rates drop. You're going to have them go up and they're going to stay up. So you're going to hit the, you're going to tap the brakes on the economy, but not to the extent of getting ahead of inflation, which means we're going to have stagflation and that's going to likely continue through the end of next year at the very earliest and who knows for how long. So and and to to have a microcosm on that uh, of of the macroeconomics on this entire thing, ask the average person a year and a half from now, because we're still feeling the effects of all of this. This inf- consistent inflation is the effect of government doing what the last caller was just stating, mm-hmm. helping and bailing people out. Ask them 
if what they got from the government covered the cost of inflation over what will eventually be three and a half years. Yeah. Right. No. It's a, um, you know, it really is uh, it, everything that we hear, the same thing. We heard the same thing on uh, the college loan thing. Well, now they'll be able to go spend their money elsewhere. Yeah, same thing, yeah. Well, I thought they didn't have the money. Yeah. I thought that was the whole point. You know, the argument changes. Well, no, 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 we should give it to the... Okay, well, again, where would you draw the line? Because if you're... If if your standards are, look at how they'll spend that money. Oh, my gosh. And the federal government should fill everybody's bank account and make everybody a billionaire tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. Because you're looking at one side of it, which is exactly what a liberal does. And doesn't look at where the money comes from. The Fed printing money is not the answer because you're not printing money in order to represent an expansion of wealth, a greater amount of wealth in productivity as a nation. You're doing it to put a Band-Aid on a problem. And ultimately, if the government were going to step in and do redistribution of wealth, which is exactly what this is, where would you draw the line if you're going to justify it by saying, well, look at all the great things they could spend their money on? Yeah, I mean, it's and and either, like I said, and I think you bring a great point. Either the caller was a seminar caller, and we've got those before who say, I'm a conservative and then promote something that is as liberal as you could possibly get using the same liberal arguments. Or it is part of the of the. Uh, the old blue dog Democrats, Democrats that may have been uh, socially conservative but fiscally, fiscally very liberal, that have been have been attracted to the Democratic Party or excuse me to the Republican Party over the last couple of years and view themselves as conservatives. Because I know one of the things you that really ticks people off, and I knew that when I said told the guy he wasn't a conservative, <laughs> is is uh, uh, is it's something that offends people. When they believe they're conservative, they get angry when you tell them they're not. I'm mm. just telling you what the def- the fiscal definition of a conservative is. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what the definition is. Now, there may be a change in that definition over a period of, of time, but the definition of a conservative when it comes to fiscal matters is still a market-based, somebody who has a market-based mindset and not a Keynesian mindset that it's the government through the government spending that truly helps and drives an economy, right? Because that's been a that's been a liberal slash socialist philosophy for the longest time. Well, you're going back to Keynes. In in order to apply it, you have to ignore the biggest detrimental mm-hmm. effect: six hundred thousand on the non recipients yes, in San exactly. Francisco. <laughs> yes, what do you think is going to happen when they're hit with that? They're just going to sit there? Well, no, the moment this starts moving in that direction on a serious level, they'll be looking for real estate to buy in Texas or Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a ghost town. Look, I'll never forget the 
this went on for probably, what was it, three, four, five years? Remember the Ron Paul stuff where people mm-hmm. would call up and say, yeah. I'm a libertarian and I support Ron Paul. And I mm-hmm. support Ron Paul because Ron Paul uh, doesn't believe in in uh, in, uh, in in free in, trade. In free trade. Oh, he was against it's, managed free right. trade. And it was like, what he do you didn't mean? like NAFTA. He, yeah, he doesn't. But he believed in open, unmanaged free trade. And and we had, I mean, this was a succession of callers over five years that claimed that they were libertarian and they supported Ron Paul because Ron Paul, uh, you know did not support free trade because he was against NAFTA, and we had to explain to them. And these people were furious at us. You guys are wrong. We're not wrong. Ron you Paul, only had to go to his website right, to, go to, his, to read it. Ron Paul yeah. believes in unmanaged free trade. Unmanaged yeah. free trade. He yeah. believes that if he believed if you were a company in Kentucky, you should be able to deal with whatever country in the world you wish to deal with yep. without any rules and regulations put forth by government. And right. they were under the mistaken... Uh, they were under the mistaken uh, opinion that Ron Paul was for extremely protectionist trade, and it was the complete opposite. And we dealt with that one for five years. That mm-hmm. was, I mean, that was amazing because mm-hmm. we sit there and shake our head. These people would be screaming at us, right. "You guys are wrong." No, we're not. I got an email <laughs> after that, and because we basically sent people to, at that time, his website. I got an email saying, "I gave the guy fifty bucks." <laughs> And I can't believe I did that because I don't like free trade and I didn't know this about him. That's, you know, that's, again, if you're, if you're going to be that, you know, if you're going to be that diligent or if you're going to be that that active politically, then I'd probably start at the website. Yeah. If I'm giving money, I know what the candidate stands for. Yeah. No, but that was okay because he called up and he said, okay, thanks. You know, thanks. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. And look, I understand that people get busy and they don't do what we do every day, which is study everything, because that's our job. And especially on politics to know what the definitions are, you know, and, and until the Democrats choose to change them. Yeah. Right. Again. Yeah. But, you know, uh, the idea of a seminar caller is not lost on us. And in no. fact, it's very active. It's liberals who want the audience to believe that they're that the conservative hosts are wrong. Because conservatives actually support the idea of reparations uh, in the case of, you know, San Francisco. Because it would overall benefit the economy at large. Right. No. Yeah. You're not a conservative. (laughs) Deeply, deeply flawed theory. You miss out a huge chunk. And that's, well, ask the non-recipients who have to pay $600,000 where they're going to get the money to spend on plumbers electricians and all of that yeah i could they won't have it by the way i was doing research i couldn't figure out the bond solution either the municipal bond solution because there isn't one to to finance there isn't there's 270 billion dollars there is not a way to pay for it there isn't a way to pay for it unless they confiscate the assets of corporations within the city which isn't going to happen. 86690 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score in the seven basic categories 
The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, the Fed, uh, Janet Yellen, crime in uh, in Seattle, uh, and, uh, and, and more here. In fact, success against crime in Seattle. Why? As the Wall Street Journal said, it seems as if fighting crime reduces crime. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Who would have... Who would have ever thunk it? Are you kidding me? How did did they end it? Imagine crime falls when you arrest and punish criminals. (laughs) We'll get to that coming up. I just have to tell you, though, I was on the Drudge Report. I'm just going down through uh, through Drudge, and it's like there's a headline. DeSantis launches fiery attack on the Don. So, of course, reading the stories really wasn't fiery. I mean, it was... He was right, he yeah. was asked about it and and uh, he pointed out a couple of things. Now saying he should have fired Fauci earlier may get a fire response back, but a fiery attack, you know, is you would think it's done with passion and anger, and it was like no. I want to hear curse yes. words if you're using the word fiery. Yes. But so of course I click it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no story. You click it, it's just a scowling. There's a picture of just DeSantis with this scowling look on his face like hmm. that's it that's it's a picture there okay. right there is no link to a story it's just the picture okay and i had a i'm sorry but i had a, my first reaction wasn't come on give me a story what are you doing that's a click oh that's a good clickbait because <laughs> it got me to laugh yeah it goes nowhere but yes. all right yeah you know it it goes nowhere um, uh, plus, uh, more on, uh, Congress and the administration and, uh, more on Congress. What? <laughs> Which side are we talking and about a, then? <laughs> and, a, and a Fauci story. All right. Fauci story coming up. All right.
fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Uh, oh, yeah, we were talking about uh, reparations over the last hour that's going on in San Francisco and, and uh, in, uh, in California. So, of course, the question was asked to uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre yesterday about where the president stands wow. on reparations. Where does this administration stand on reparations for um, slavery and segregation and similar uh, historic wrongs? Uh, specifically pertaining to uh, black Americans? So look, uh, we understand that there's a legislation on the Hill currently uh, on this on the study of repra- uh, reparations, pardon me, and we think Congress is the uh, the appropriate venue for consideration consideration on such action, uh, and so we're going to leave it there for Congress to decide to let them go through their process uh, that they're taking at this moment. But I would I would lay out uh, and speak to what the president. She didn't answer. She changed the topic. She went on to change the topic. Mm-hmm. Because Congress is debating something, the president can't have an opinion on it? I don't think it's what, proper what, for what? me to comment on things the government is doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually well, that's actually <laughs> part of it. I mean, I would take that in any think time the president says something. Well, Congress is doing legislation on that. Why is the president speaking on that? This is where the this is where reporters, especially the you know if if you work for Fox and you work for Newsmax, if you work for the New York Post, this is where you got to get smarter. Mm-hmm. When she decide when she sets down, this is the pattern. You've got to destroy that pattern, and the pattern is she'll say when it's to her advantage that oh, since Congress is dealing with this, uh, we think that's the appropriate place. I didn't ask you where the appropriate place was because, of course, that would be the appropriate place. But the president has uh, has as uh, opinions and has consistently expressed opinions of things that Congress is working at, working on. I'm not telling you. I'm not asking you whether the president, through executive order, should approve reparations because we know he can't do that. What we're does asking he support is, it? does he support it? Fry your brain. Yeah, get to the very heart of it very quickly. Uh, don't let her dance around. Oh, where do, we think it's inappropriate to be commenting on anything the government is doing. Yeah, you ask these questions and it will be. And I did see uh, on YouTube the other day. It's like a trailer from remember the original movie Scanners. Yeah, the heads blew up. Yeah, it's like I, like, <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Ask her a question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if she's gonna play if she's gonna play this game with you, play it right back. Because well, it's, it's easy. It's easy to tie her up. Yeah. To tie her up into just mumbling and bumbling, because you can do it. So if Congress passes it, he'll sign it, right? So he approves of it. Yeah. So so he'll sign it, right? Well, well wait a minute. Congress Congress worked on that D.C. crime bill that the president, in fact, the president had two opinions on it. Right. He first was against what Congress was doing and supported the D.C. crime bill. And then he said he didn't support it. Mm -hmm. So Congress was working at it. He had opinions on both. Why can't the president have an opinion? And he's had an opinion on it all the time the Congress was working on it. Yeah. He changed it. Mm -hmm. Well, he pledged here and now to sign it if Congress passes it. Can we get a pledge? Can we get a yes? Is that a yes? 
<laughs> it sounded like Hillary. Remember when Hillary was in Canada and they were asking her, and this was during the 2020, uh, 2016 election cycle, and they asked her about the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. Well, it's in the courts and blah, 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 and it would be inappropriate. You want to be president. What do you mean it would be inappropriate? If you are to become president, now, then what would you do? Sorry. (laughs) My stomach became unsettled when I said that. Um, But that's that's why you asked that question. And, of course, you can't, in that setting, Jean-Pierre is not going to be able to answer that because inevitably then, okay, where would you cap it? How's it to be paid for? Then again, how are you going to pay for the whole student loan thing? Well, we know why she won't answer the question. In the latest polling, 70% of Americans against reparations, 30% for. Now, that's just the generic question. Mm -hmm. The only correct poll would be, uh, and I guess you 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 could do two polls, separate polls. People that would get the reparations, ask them if they would want the $5 million without having to pay anything for the reparations. I can tell you what that survey would be. 100% yes. Yes, 100% yes. So you can do both polls. The people that will get reparations will get $5 million plus $97,000 for 250 years. Their debts wiped out and a home for $1.00. Are you for reparations? And then you can see 100% yes. But the key is to ask the people who would be paying for it, ask the same question. These are the reparations that they would, that, uh, they would uh, put forward. Do you support your family taking out a first, second, and third mortgage for $600,000 to pay for the reparations? That would be 100% no. Exactly. Unless it not, no, I, I don't want to say that. It wouldn't be 100% no, because everyone knows that it's not going to happen and therefore it's not binding. You would have someone who wishes to virtue signal and say, oh, yes, I'd be willing to do it. So I'll, 99 I'll to up, 1. I should, be, I should give up everything. And you could do that if you were confident that it wasn't going to happen. Right. Oh, I'm willing to give up everything. So the poll could only be accurate. If you answered, yes, I'm for reparations, then (laughs) you would have to pay (laughs) $600,000. Yeah, right. It's a tough poll to do. Now, you can do it when it's a generic poll. You for reparations? here's, Here's also the next question. Do you support a tax on multimillionaires? <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> uh, right. When exactly would that kick in? <laughs> uh, because, uh, look, this is the same liberal party. They want to go after the rich. But you're also wanting to create a whole new set of multimillionaires. Yeah, but we'll make sure that certain people are exempt. So the recipients of the reparations would be exempt from taxes. That's how you get around that. 
well, wait a minute. <laughs> to, to one of our previous caller's points, what if they went out and, uh, I don't know, spent it all in one place? Multi-million dollars in, you know, in one place, and, and you start seeing that, oh, well, wait a minute, that person was not a recipient, but indirectly they received the benefit of those millions of dollars. <laughs> now they're going to be taxed. Oh, and man. that's how it would that's how it would work if it were to happen, which it's not going to happen. Uh, okay, uh, this uh, crime and consequences in Seattle. Hmm. And didn't hear much about this, but sometimes, as you said, the Wall Street Journal opinion page, yeah. in their opinions, actually tell you a story that really isn't being covered much. This is my favorite show on NBC, by the way. Crime and consequences in Seattle. <laughs> Hi, I'm your talk show host, yeah. Frazier Crane. Yeah. Let's talk about crime and consequences yeah. in Seattle. I think Ice-T is in that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Policy news flash. Hmm. Fighting crime reduces crime. Latest evidence comes from, from uh, Seattle. Of all places where city attorney Ann Davidson's efforts are showing results. She took office in January of 2022 after voters elected her on a law and order platform. She had focused on the, she has focused on the 168 troublemakers responsible for the a disproportionate amount of crime, nearly 3,500 misdemeanors in Seattle over a five-year period from those 168 people. They each averaged 6.3 misdemeanor criminal incidents referred to prosecution in Seattle in a year. Wow. The most common crime? were theft to buy fentanyl or meth, which often led to more serious charges, such as assaults and robbery, if someone attempts to stop them, the city, the Seattle City Attorney's Office said in a new report. But new numbers show that on Miss Davidson's watch, the number of annual misdemeanor referrals by this group has dropped from 6.3 to 2.7. What changed? We'll start with arrests. And punishment in the past uh, in the in the past year, 142 of those 168 criminals were behind bars at some point. King County jails had limited bookings for most misdemeanors, but last spring, Ms. Davidson brokered an agreement to make an exception for Seattle's most pro- prolific misdemeanor criminals. She also pushed the reform that excludes from. Uh, Seattle's notoriously lenient community court, anyone who had 12 or more charges referred to the city attorney for prosecution over the past five years, including one in the past eight months, their cases are now handled by the the municipal court where they can face bail requirements and jail time. Ms. Davidson has persevered despite criticism from Seattle's progressives, but the facts vindicate her approach. Imagine... Crime falls when you arrest and punish. Yeah. Gee. Oh, and let me add, the criminals. Yeah. 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 So what you're saying is, and that's, you know, these are the things that have to happen. But then you point to a, a prosecutor like Bragg. And others in other major cities that are intent on people not going to jail. 
And if they go to jail, not staying in jail. Jails are overcrowded. Let's let everybody go. Let's not fill them up even more. And the more you do that, the more you enact that kind of policy, the more you'll see a massive rise in crime. And that's exactly what's happening. I'm glad that's going on in Seattle that they're very, and and it's interesting, you look at the number of people that are responsible. You know, it seems like a small number, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Responsible for a great deal of crime in the Seattle area. I, I love the fact that they've done the police work there. The prosecutor is very, very proactive here in, in doing what should be done in every city and town in America. And you, we can make this choice whether to do it or not. We made the choice to not do it in major cities, and we're seeing the results of it. All these choices that we've made, we can change. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690. Red Eye, see where this goes. During a portion of an interview aired on Tuesday's edition of PBS American Masters, uh, Fauci, Dr. Fauci, argued that there are a number of experiments that need to be done on viruses that would require doing something under certain circumstances that make a pathogen more transmissible or more <laughs> pathogenic, which some people refer to as gain of function end of quote <laughs> is he attempting to mm. set mm. a new narrative mm. interesting building a defense out in some way i don't know muddying the waters some kind well, of well i've diversion. always i've always been for this i never denied it right <laughs> sounds like barney frank I know I would I was never for people buying homes. <laughs> but this is really good. We have a really interesting next year and a half. Well, because I wish we I, I wish it could like take the next 6 months and condense it down to tomorrow all the what all the news is going to be. Oh my gosh. That would make that would make my day. Well, because <laughs> you look at that and I could actually see him testifying before Congress and saying, "Well, no, I I wasn't against gain of function. You know, there and he's going to do the same thing that he's done before. He's going to move the goalposts every time. Well, that's not what the definition is. I understand that some people are calling that now, calling it that now, but if you want to call it that then okay, you can call it that now. But that's not back then when and he can just sit and run in circles. I was waiting to where you were. I'm sitting here waiting. Where's he going to go next? And then you stopped. I, but I was fascinated by how you were because gonna, it's like uh, where you were going. A I know. Chicken. You're never gonna. You're never gonna be able to just reach down and pick it up and get hold of it because he's going to talk in circles.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.